Our text this morning, as we hear from the living God in His Word, is Galatians 3, (coughs) verses 19 to 22. (coughs) Why then the law? Paul knows that that is the question his readers will be asking. Why would God have bothered with the whole Sinai covenant anyway? Why have it at all? Why have it if there has always been one people and one covenant? Remember this from last week in verses 15 to 18, if, if you were here or if you happen to listen to it, if you weren't here. Verse 16 of Galatians 3, Now the promises, Paul writes, were made to Abraham and to his offspring. (coughs) Referring to one, Paul says, who is Jesus. And we said Paul's point is that there has always only been one people of God. And they are the offspring of of Abraham. And that right from the start in Genesis, offspring didn't mean all of Abraham's descendants, right? So that the critical question we considered last week and that I tried to get us to wrestle with was who were the offspring? Romans 9 verse 8, we read it, it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Remember that? Or in other words, Paul says, not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. It would be one line marked by the promised spirit, one line of those who had the presence of God in their lives and so had the hearing of faith, living by faith as children of God, always there would be a remnant in Israel eventually coming to focus at the critical point on one key representative, Jesus Christ. It all came down to Jesus. Jesus who lived his whole life in utter dependence on the Holy Spirit. Right? Topic for another time, perhaps, but I'll just state it here, that from his conception to his crucifixion and resurrection, everything Jesus did, he did by the power of the Spirit. And it all focuses in on Jesus. So that, as verse 14 of Galatians 3 puts it, you have that in front of you, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So it's the cross plus the spirit, and Christian, you are the offspring of Abraham. I hope you thought about that this week at some point, if you were here last Sunday. I hope at some point you stopped this week and thought, my, I am the offspring of Abraham. 
And just as there has only always been one people, so there has always only been one covenant reality. This is still last week, experienced by that one people. So verse 17, as we come towards our text, this is what I mean, Paul says. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Or in other words, as I put it last week, nothing changes in the Bible. <laughs> the role of the Spirit, the hearing of faith, the promises that pertain when that faith is present, it's the same all the way through. So then here we are. Paul knows what his readers are thinking. Well, why then the law? I mean, if the covenant blessings, Paul, if the covenant blessings, if the inheritance, if, if that was always by promise for the offspring, those who have the hearing of faith because they have the presence of God in their lives, all of it made possible by the cross of Jesus, if that's what's always going on, well, then why the law? Why have it at all? Now, the answer is in verse 19, of course. But before we, before we just run with that, I need to say, just so you're not disappointed as the sermon comes to an end and you're like, well, what happened? I need to say that in this sermon on verses 19 to 22, I'm not going to comment, really, on the last part of verse 19 and on verse 20. Now, Paul talks there. You have it in front of you. Paul talks there, the, the last part of 19 and 20, about the law being put in place through angels by an intermediary in verse 19. Fascinating. I've spent time on that. I have thoughts about what Paul means and why he says that. I have fewer thoughts about verse 20. I could see that Paul makes the final point that God is one and that somehow that's why all of what he's saying is true. In fact, last week I gave you this, right? One people, one covenant, one God. And I still think that's right, but I wish I hadn't put it that way because I don't understand how the second half of 20 relates to the first half of 20. I just don't. And to be honest, I haven't found anyone who's convinced me that they really understand it either. So, I just feel I have to leave that whole piece there for now. And if, if you're here this morning and you're like, hey, I know, if you know... What Paul means there in verse 20 and how that connects to the end of verse 19 and then how all that fits into the bigger argument here, which I think I do understand, come and tell me after the service. I'd love it. All right? But I'm not, I'm not going to try because I don't know what it means. So with that caveat now, we're back to the question. Why then the law? 
And the answer is, it was added because of transgressions. Notice Paul's language, first of all, okay? It's a simple thing, but it's pretty important. Paul says, it was added. It didn't replace anything. Nothing's changed about the covenant relationship that God has with those who are the offspring of Abraham. It was added. The problem is that a whole lot of the Israelites weren't the offspring of Abraham. That's the problem. And the way you know they weren't is because they were characterized by transgressions. It's their transgressions we're talking about here, right? There's a history behind verse 19. And I think this is pretty exciting, and I want us to think about this. There's a history behind verse 19 because there was a moment when the law was added, right? And since we're talking here about the Sinai law, I'd say that means we're talking about Exodus chapters 19 and 20 when the people came to Sinai. So I couldn't figure out verse 20 for you, but I had this very basic question that I was working on this week as I was studying this. I was asking, where do we see that the people of Israel were transgressing? That they weren't walking by faith that they didn't have the hearing of faith, that they weren't trusting the Lord. Where do we see that before the law was added? And I think that's an important question. Because Paul's saying, look it, the problem is that Israel wasn't walking with the Lord. So the law was added. Now think about that. That, that makes some sense, doesn't it? God gives the law because of sin. We do that too. I mean, my children are perfectly obedient, but if your children, if your children were not perfectly obedient, well, then what did you have? You had certain rules in your home, right? Or if citizens in Canada were just always upstanding, then there'd be no need for laws. Much less policemen or prisons to enforce them. I mean, that, this makes some sense to me, that the law's there. This is the key insight. The law is there because something's wrong. The law's there because something's wrong. So... This matters. I want us to turn to Exodus because I want to know where we see that something was wrong with the people of Israel before the law was given. Because this is what Paul's saying. So we're going to start in Exodus 14. Can you go there? Help your neighbor find it if they don't know where it is. Exodus 14. This, is, this, is, this matters because... We're talking in the end here about how God relates to his people in the new covenant, in the reality that we have through Jesus. So if this isn't that, we need to see it. So we go to Exodus 14 to begin. Exodus 14, towards the beginning of your Bible, Genesis, Exodus, second book. Exodus 14 is it. <laughs> 
I mean, this is the Exodus, right? Chapter 14. The people have been led out of Egypt, and they come to the sea, and Pharaoh's coming up behind them, and the Lord parts the waters, and they cross, and then the waters close up, and the Egyptians are dead. End of the chapter, verse 30, verse 30 of Exodus 14. Thus, the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. Verse 31. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people, watch this, the people feared the Lord. And they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. Well, that's an incredible statement. They believed. He'd saved them. But remember something we said last week when we were working our way back into Galatians and into the thoughts of this book? We said that faith's not a one-time deal, right? Faith's not a one-time deal. It's got to be a life of faith. You have to continue the same way you began, living by faith, walking by the Spirit. We said that last week. So it's great in Exodus 14. But then what happens in Exodus 15? After the Song of Moses, glorious song referenced multiple times in the rest of the Bible, but go to verse 22. After the Song of Moses... Verse 22, Exodus 15, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Merah, they could not drink the water of Merah because it was bitter. Verse 24, And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? They grumbled, and Moses cries out, And the Lord provides the sweet water. You know the story. But look at the end of verse 25. Because this led to something. The end of verse 25 there, the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them. Because faith isn't a one-time deal. Right? Saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes. Notice how hearing the Lord means obeying him. You see that? And give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Now, do they have the law yet? No. What's the Lord looking for? What's the Lord looking to see? Whether they'll listen to him. Do what's right in his eyes. Give ear to his commandments. He's testing them. So Exodus 16. They set out from Elim and all the congregation of the people came to the wilderness of Sin. Exodus 16. On the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. Verse 2. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. 
For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So what does the Lord do? Manna from heaven, right? Look at verse 4. Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. I mean, where do you think give us this day our daily bread came from? It's a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. Why? Why a day's portion every day? Well, to show that the Lord will give them what they need day by day. So they have to trust Him. They have to trust Him. Verse 19. Go to verse 19. Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. What you gather every day, don't leave any of it till the morning. Why? You have to trust God for tomorrow's promises. For tomorrow's provision. Verse 20. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. So it's not going so well. And the sixth day comes. And you know the story. They gather twice as much. They gather twice as much on the sixth day because there was a double portion that day. The Lord had said there would be. They gather twice as much. And Moses says, now it's different. So verse 23, tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath. So this time, you keep some of it for tomorrow. And it won't go bad. Every other day, it went bad the next day. The sixth day, you keep that double, you keep that second portion. It won't go bad. And it doesn't. And the seventh day comes, verse 25, and Moses says, eat it today. For today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day there will be none. And then verse 27. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather. But they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you, meaning the people, not just Moses himself here, how long will you people refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? Paul says, the Sinai law was given because of transgressions. Right? I mean, there it is in black and white. What does it mean? What is it, what's the point? It means they don't trust the Lord. That's what it means. 
You rest on the Sabbath because you trust the Lord to provide for your needs. You don't have to provide for yourself. That's the point of the Sabbath. You don't have to provide for your... The Lord will provide for your needs. They didn't trust the Lord. And it goes on, Exodus 17, verse 2. The people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, look at Exodus 17, verse 2. Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? You hear what Moses is asking them? Why are you doing this? Go to verse 7 of Exodus 17. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, look at what they say. Is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? Seriously? I mean, do you see? They're not trusting the promises of God for the future in response to the provisions of God in the past. That's the explicit point, isn't it? That, that's not what they're doing. And Moses is shocked. Why? Why do you do this? And brothers and sisters, the answer is they do it because they don't have faith. They don't even have the law yet. And they're already refusing, the text says, refusing to keep the Lord's commandments and laws. So we get to Exodus 19. Just turn to 19. They come into Sinai. And there's a lot there, but just go right to the end of the chapter. Verse 20 of Exodus 19. I hope you like, I mean, I just found all this so amazing this week. Ex chap verse 20 of Exodus 19. Watch this. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up, verse 21. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Footnote. Isn't it fascinating that it isn't all of them that would perish? Do you ever see that? Many of them perish, not all. At least some of them are different. Do you ever think about that? What's going on? Verse 24, here's the end of chapter 19, verse 24. And the Lord said to him, go down and come up bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them, that's the end of chapter 19, lest he break out against them. What's the problem? 
Why can't the people as a whole be in the presence of the Lord? I mean, Moses and Aaron can be. And evidently, some of the people could have been. There were some who wouldn't die if they broke through and saw the Lord. But for many of the Israelites, most of the Israelites, this is their experience of Sinai. It's the Lord saying, you come near me and I'll break out against you. Brothers and sisters, this is the people he delivered from Egypt. Most of them can't be with the Lord. Why not? Answer, as I read it, because most of them aren't his people, because their hearts are hard, and they don't have faith, and they're still in their sins. And the Bible's universally clear that to come into the presence of the living God while remaining in our sins is to die. And the people of Israel can't be with the Lord. Let that sink in. That's how Exodus 19 ends. And then comes Exodus 20, the law. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. But they did. You see? They did. Moses wouldn't even get to bring the tablets down the mountain to them before it's all over. Turn all the way to Exodus 32. I mean, between that point and Exodus 32 is the giving of the law. You could just flip through and see, there it is. Ten commandments started, and then it's just thing after thing after thing. It's the law. Moses is on the mountain. It's taken a while, but Moses is on the mountain, Exodus 32 Go to verse 7. The law has been given now. Watch this in Exodus 32, verse 7. Moses doesn't know what's happened. And the Lord said to Moses, read the beginning of Exodus 32. You want a terrifying scene. Verse 7 of Exodus 32. And the Lord said to Moses, go down, Moses, for your People, he doesn't even say they're his people now. Your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They've made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it. What's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods besides me. And worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. 
Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. Go back to Galatians now. Go back to Galatians now and look at verse 21. Time's short, I know it. Go to verse 21. Galatians 3. Go to verse 21. Galatians 3 is the law. The law which was added because of transgressions. Is that law contrary to the promises of God? Paul asks, certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. Now look at, can you see how obvious it is, having just considered that whole section of Exodus leading up to the law, that the law couldn't give life to these Israelites? Of course it couldn't. The law couldn't motivate them to want to do God's will. They'd already shown over and over that they weren't interested in following the Lord. Is the Lord among us or not? And that's what they said. Because what's the problem? Here it is. I mean, really, what is the problem? This has to be the main point. Is the problem the law? No. The law is just what faith looks like, right? The law is just what faith looks like. And we're going to talk a lot more about that later in Galatians. The law teaches faith. First commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Turn that around and you've got faith. I am the Lord your God. I'm committed to meet your needs. Trust me. Trust me. Above all things. Have no other gods besides. Trust me. The first commandment is to have faith. And brothers and sisters, you get that one right. And the rest just follow suit. I mean, you have faith. You trust the Lord above all. You won't covet. Covetousness is idolatry, Paul says. You won't steal. Because you know the Lord will meet your needs. You don't have to steal. You won't bear false witness. You won't murder or hurt or even hate your neighbor, as Jesus says it means. Why? Because you trust the Lord to handle all things, to handle all things justly in the end. So in fact, you can even love your enemy. The law teaches faith by saying, here's what trusting the Lord looks like. Problem's not the law. Problem's sin. Verse 22. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. Everything under sin. Sin's the problem. Sin's your problem. Sin's my problem. Sin's everybody's problem. And Paul says it's the scripture here, not just the law. Because this isn't just the Israelites. This is everybody. This is universal. I mean, look at Abraham was sinful too, right? Abraham was sinful too. Remember, 
I know Abraham's the, 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 the example here, but Abraham's sinful the very start. What happens in Abraham's life? Remember this, Acts 7, the God of glory appears to Abraham in Ur and says, go into the land I will show you. And Abraham stops halfway in Haran. Remember that? He doesn't even go all the way there. Happy in Haran. Nice place, maybe. He settles there, Genesis says. So what has to happen? Do you remember this sermon on Abraham? What has to happen? The Lord has to show up again. Genesis 12, the Lord said to Abram, go. Or as Acts 7 verse 4 puts it, Stephen talking about this, what does he say in Acts 7 verse 4? God removed Abram from there into this land. And we saw it in that sermon again and again. The Lord has to show up. He has to invade Abraham's life or in new covenant terms, brothers and sisters, he has to pour out his spirit. He has to pour out his spirit, okay? The blessing of Abraham is the promised spirit received through faith. So then what is it that makes Abraham different from the people of Israel on the whole? You see what I've done? You, what makes Abraham different from the people of Israel on the whole? Those stiff-necked people. What's the difference? The difference is that to Abraham, God granted his spirit. Changed his heart so he'd trust him. But to Israel on the whole, God didn't do that. God didn't grant his spirit. That's what I see the Bible saying. That on the whole, the people of Israel were spiritually dead. They'd not been made alive. On the whole, the people of Israel were enslaved by sin, like all people have been since Genesis 3. And the Bible says pretty clearly that from our slavery to sin, we cannot escape on our own. Which means that in the history of Israel, from Moses to Christ more than a thousand years, what do we see if we're honest when we look at that history that ends in exile? The curse of the law. Remember earlier in chapter 3? It ends in exile. What do we see in that history? We see ourselves. We see in vivid form the exceeding sinfulness of sin. And the condition of our hearts apart from the work of the Lord to change them. And that means, dear friends, that we're forced to face here now at the end of the sermon what I think is one of the most difficult questions that can be asked of the Old Testament scriptures. Why? 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 Why did God... Redeem the nation of Israel from slavery in Egypt, Exodus 14. Why did he deliver the nation of Israel from slavery in Egypt and not redeem the people themselves as a whole from slavery to sin? Why? 
Well, Paul's going to go there in the end of chapter 3, and he's going to go there again in chapter 4. So this isn't going to be the end of it, but just from our text this morning as we finish, there's two places where we see the heart of Paul's answer to that. You see what I've just posed before you? It's such a hard question. Two places where we see the heart of Paul's answer. The first place is in verse 19. The second place is in verse 22. And they're basically the same thing. If you want to wake up now, this is the point. Verse 19 says that the law was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And then verse 22 says, the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Or in other words, God redeemed the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt, but not from their slavery to sin. Why? For the sake of the promise. That the promise, the promise of the spirit, of the blessings of Abraham, of the inheritance of life. That that promise would be for you. And me. And for all the nations of the world. This is a hard truth, isn't it? He did it so that history would run its course to come to Jesus. The focus of the offspring. That's verse 19, I think. Until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. To come to Jesus so that all who have faith, all who believe, verse 22 puts it, same root word, remember that. Faith, belief, same root word. All who believe from every tribe and tongue and nation that all who are part of the offspring of Abraham in the new covenant might be given the promise. Or in other words, dear friends, because the plan was Jesus. That's why. That's why God did that, because the plan was Jesus. And the plan was always Jesus from the very start. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul writes in Ephesians 1, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. Or as Peter will say in 1 Peter chapter 1, you were ransomed. You were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And he, that slain lamb, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God. Do 
which means that we'll have more to say about all this in the coming weeks that I get to end this sermon now with the priceless words of Romans 8. Just take them in, will you? As if for the first time, like you've never heard this before. Because, dear friends, these words are for you. Romans 8. Not the whole chapter, but just parts of it. There is therefore now. (laughs) Now. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. Watch this. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, in you, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Oh, dear friend, does he? Then hear these words. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.